Hi, my name's Shannon and I'm a neuroscience PhD candidate. I'm here to explain to you exactly what happens to your brain as you drink. Once swallowed, this drink travels to your stomach where about 10% of the alcohol is absorbed and then on to your small intestines where the rest is absorbed into your bloodstream. As our liver can only metabolize about 15 milligrams per deciliter per hour, one drink per hour is all your body can effectively metabolize. Anything above this leads to alcohol accumulation in the bloodstream, leading to intoxication symptoms. Alcohol is metabolized in your liver by two main enzymes, alcohol dehydrogenase and aldehyde dehydrogenase. First, alcohol is metabolized by alcohol dehydrogenase into acetaldehyde, which is a toxic compound. Acetaldehyde is then metabolized by aldehyde dehydrogenase into acetic acid. After two drinks, the signs of intoxication may begin to surface. You may think it's a good idea to send that text. No, God, please, no, no, no! You may think it's a good idea to send that text. Mother of God. You may think it's a good idea to send that text. You blew it! You may think it's a good idea to send that text. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber. You may think it's a good idea to send that text. Ugh, idiot. What the hell is that? What would you say you do here? It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Because I'm kind of an idiot. I'm a dumb guy. Brian, you don't have to keep trying so hard to impress me. I already really like you. Your midweek download destination. I told you about Brian. I told you. Come on, man. Brian was just making a joke. I'm so lucky to have met you, Brian. You're such an amazing guy. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. And note to self, don't get drunk and send dumb text messages to people. And also, don't die. Welcome in to the Stone On Air podcast. It is the weekly dose for July 25th, the year 2018. Yep, I'm the dumb asshole that got drunk and sent text messages. Messages, uh, sound drunk now. Maybe I am. That I shouldn't have. That'll be in the returning Stone's Throws segment coming up on today's podcast. Now, while admittedly I normally do drink when I record this show, I've only I'm only on my first gin and tonic, and it's not that late when I'm recording this, so I can honestly say that I am not intoxicated right now. But recently, I was, and did some regretful text messaging. Stone Throw segment will be here again for a, uh, I don't know, appearance now. I think it's one of those segments I'm just going to throw in here and there when it seems like it makes sense. Today it seems like it makes sense. My name is Brian. Thanks for finding the show at Stone on Air and all social media is how you can get a hold of me if you haven't done that already. What's coming up on today's show? I'll touch around on a few things here, hodgepodge in the first segment and a three-segment show. Really, I guess, technically a four-segment show if we're counting the stones throw and the idiocy that is my life being documented, which is just basically what this show is a documentation of my at times thrilling at times disastrous at times, incredibly fun at times, incredibly lonely life. Uh, so that's kind of the way these things generally go. So let's see coming up in the second segment, or we'll call it the third segment after uh stones throw. If you heard of this guy, Josh Hader, in Major League Baseball, you probably have. You probably don't remember why, because the story's already a little over a week ago. It was after the All-Star game. 
He is a relief pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers, and somebody dug up a bunch of old text messages of his when he was in high school. Now, he's only like 24 now, so that was only seven years ago, but he was in high school, like 16, 17. Um, I don't think he was 18 technically when he was uh, sending these tweets. Twitter at that point would have only been about three years old, so most people didn't either have it or even know what it was. Well, in his first game back, he got a standing ovation in Milwaukee. And there was a lot of predictable, you can see where this is going, reaction as to why he got a standing ovation. And these tweets were homophobic, they were sexist, they were racist, and just plain uh, vulgar, really. So I'm going to talk about that for a minute and get some responses from sports writers around the country that I like to listen to regularly. And then I'm going to compare that to something that I ran into the other day as I was looking for things for my high school reunion uh, that's coming up here in about a month and a week that I'm part of the planning committee. And I was looking through a bunch of old stuff from high school, and I found something that if you saw it, you would be horrified at looking at. At least I feel like you should. And it got me thinking more about that story. That's why I decided to go with it. That will be coming up in the third segment of the show. Uh, The final segment of the show, I'm going to play as a rejoined music, new music from the local band Kerchief. And talk about them for a few minutes. And I'm going to do something. The gears shifted as I got into the show or the preparation of the show in the last couple hours. I'm going to talk about what is and isn't rude. What is and isn't um, the importance of small talk. I hate small talk. I think it's the worst thing ever. But after doing some reading and looking at some studies, small talk might not be all that bad after all. After some of the quote-unquote research that I did. It wasn't research. It was just reading a couple articles. So it didn't change my mind on how I feel about small talk and who actually is the rude person in the room. The social norms, societal norms, always tend to point, I believe, to the wrong person as who the rude one is. But uh, kind of break that down into the uh, final segment of the show, and it's taken a little different twist than I initially planned. And on the tail end of this segment, I've got a clip from America's Got Talent. Have you uh, have you seen this show? Could you possibly, in a million years, if you haven't, imagine that that show's actually pretty good? Because I don't know if I just happened to stumble on it a few times during its greatest hits, or you know, the best of the best. Maybe I'm seeing the best of clips. It's a pretty damn good show with a lot of really, really talented and fun performances. And, you know, American Idol is a piece of trash, and it always has been. And this is a Simon Cowell thing. It's got Howie Mandel and Tyra Banks, I think, and whoever else. And so I've been going on and on about Africa, the song, Toto's song, that Weezer's doing. Uh, They cover it, and they're playing it on their tour, which I'm going to be seeing Weezer this uh, Saturday in Nashville. Looking forward to that. So um, my stepmother puts this on my Facebook page. It's from America's Got Talent, and it's this choir that does a version, a short version of Africa, and the way it's put together is incredible. So I'm going to play that clip here before I wrap up this opening segment. Just a couple of bullet points, though, here as we get going. A Robert T. Nash update. Somebody asked me this specifically, hit me up on Facebook, and said, hey, uh, are you going to do that? Did someone tell you you shouldn't? Are you going to, uh, wh- wh- what's the deal on that? Just curious. And if you remember back in June, if you were around here listening then, I st- found a- some flash drives and I got a bunch of audio from Robert T. Nash from 2015. And I just assume some of it has got to be pretty good. I haven't gone through all of it. I did all the Jeff Style stuff that I found on the flash drive. I got mixed 
um, feelings and feedback on that as to whether that was a good idea or not. I still think it was a fine idea, but how I go forward with it from this point on, I'm not sure. I do want to showcase some of the stuff that RTN used to do. He's a former talk radio guy around here in Chattanooga, just kind of a lightning rod all the way around. Some people hate his guts. Some people love him to death. Just depends. Uh, you know, I don't. Just depends on your taste, your flavor, and your speed, I guess. But I have just so much audio. It's like 15 hours of audio. I haven't had time to go through it. And every week there's a new story coming out, and every week there's uh, there's preparation into putting together these segments. That's just it's distracted me from, which is good. I want those kinds of distractions. That makes for good content. It's kept me from being able to just kind of mindlessly listen to 15 hours. Of, of audio from you know three years ago so it'll find the light of day one of these days it's just that idea is on hold for right now a couple of stories that jumped off the page i wanted to um to to touch on and this is not like some super big deal so don't act, don't think i'm overreacting here but this story that came out tuesday uh from the hill it's not really even a story but this this i've seen ads for this on my youtube uh, ads, you know, because you you just start seeing things that you're into, is that 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 kind of eerily weird thing that happens on the internet. I mean, I get it, I know why it happens, but still seems a little odd occasionally. But so I'm seeing these ads for uh, what is it called? CRTV, the Conservative Review, and it's just a webcast, web channel, YouTube channel, the whole works, and it's all just it's it's alt neo right stuff, and they put out this video the other day. With this uh, congressional candidate uh, who just you know shocked the world, shocked New York with her win, Alexandra Ocasio Cortez, and uh, I mean if this if this woman can keep it up and stay articulate and keep herself uh, in in front of the the right views and the right ideas and the right people, she might become a major player in the Democratic Party later on. That's another conversation for another day. But they the CRTV put out this video where they spliced together her from another interview talking to one of their correspondents, so it was completely bogus, and didn't really label it clearly satire. And while in the end they were like, yeah, of course it wasn't real, guys. Like, huh, what, you weren't in on the joke? So it kind of is a nothing-to-see-here dudes kind of situation, except it didn't clearly identify itself as satire and had 1.2 million views after a couple of days of being up on Facebook. So I guess it's just another point or another just, you know, a heads up to keep your eyes open at what you're looking at and make sure that it's not just satire or something dumb because dumb people are everywhere and they are easily fooled. And then another thing, speaking of fake and dumb, this, uh, this situation, what did I do with it? Come on now. Where is it? All right, come on. All right, all right, right, there it is. This is actually from uh, Fox News. Waiter who faked racist receipt, the latest to use shocking claims to get Facebook love. So this dude in, I think it's a guy, yeah, a guy in Texas put it on Facebook, got tons of likes, went viral. This receipt that said on it, uh, we don't tip terrorists that somebody had written supposedly on the receipt. His name is Khalil Cavill, and clearly I'd say he's of some kind of descent other than white Caucasian, and he put this out there and got a lot of got a lot of uh, attention. And this has been happening a lot the last couple of years. I think it's happening more than anybody has documented or understands these fake ass stories, situations where people stunt fake acts of racism. 
We've seen several of these videos where somebody hits something out of their hands or or they go out to the car and like, oh, my God, someone put, uh, you know, you N-word pig on my car and, and, you know, black magic marker. And some of those are real, but there's many that are documented to not be real. And this is the most recent one. Dude finally came out. I don't know how he got caught. I'm not going to go through all that. I'm not concerned about the blay, you know, blow by blow, play by play. But uh, Kavil said, I don't have an explanation. I made a mistake. There is no excuse for what I did. Then this story from Fox News looks back and starts to look at a couple of these others. And you've seen them. We just forget about them. You never come back and find out whether they're real or not. Uh, there was one from New Jersey where later on it was found out that the written portion on the bill at the restaurant said or was supposedly written by somebody else the customer said sorry i cannot tip because i do not agree with your lifestyle and the way you live your life presuming that this is a homosexual person turns out that wasn't real that was a lie looking for attention there was another one here in tennessee of all places that i didn't i don't remember in red lobster where she the uh, the waitress accused the customers of writing the n-word on the receipt later on the people who were there had the receipt still came back and said this is not what this is not what our receipt looks like and it was another person just starving for attention in such a disgusting awful way you guys remember when lebron james that story i think it was last not just this past year maybe it was during the season i don't remember that his la home had some kind of vandalism on it or something yeah well no one ever actually proved that I don't have a story on that one in front of me, but that was just, I'm mad, I'm mad, I'm mad. And within a day or two, a few people did follow up and say, okay, so has anybody actually seen this? Did this actually happen? And there's no actual proof that it did. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Point is, is that people are making stuff up all the time. And viral videos are viral because dumbasses left and right can't stop clicking on things that get, that get numb nuts all excited and seeing things like that get numb nuts all excited. Just because you're seeing these idiot things on there doesn't mean they're true. Keep it in mind. It's easy to fall in that trap. I find myself, too. I get excited, too. I get clickbait, too. But people have figured out they can make stuff up and oftentimes get away with it just to get attention online. Recently, I got incredibly drunk. If I just stopped the sentence right there, it'd be like, uh, yeah, <laughs> we know. But this time, not just once, though. Several times, I thought it was a good idea to send some really stupid text messages. Heads up. It's Stone's Throw. Wait, what? Oh, whoa. Back up the truck. What are you talking about? Is technology making us mentally ill? Look at me. I'm stupid. I can't do math. This is not making sense to the young adult anymore, and they're tired of it. Does that satisfy you? Are you satisfied now? So this segment has kind of changed over the years to the point where I don't think it's necessary to do every week. And this segment in particular today is not at all why this segment was originally dreamed up. I just, I don't know, I was looking for a reason to use the sounder, I guess. And a little Courtney Barnett in the background. Uh, I've always prided myself pretty good on social interactions. I am able to keep my cool, even though it might that might seem odd because at times I, I kind of go off the handle on in a recording setting like this or on the radio. But that's a completely different thing. In real human interactions, 
I generally am able to check myself. I'm able to check egos. I'm able to check feelings, uh, sadness, happiness. Now, I lose it occasionally, and if I do go off the rails, I'm usually pretty good at getting it back on track pretty quickly and going from a 10 to a 2 to dialing it down pretty quick. I've always been really good about not sending that text message that I just wrote and deleting it and moving on and just throwing the phone down and forgetting it. I've been pretty good about not sending those tweets and those Facebook messages. I don't send anything on Facebook anymore other than just general information, but I've always been pretty good at that kind of stuff. Even in in an intoxicated state, a lot of people get intoxicated because they're looking to get away from it all. They're looking to change the way their uh, their 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 day and night and evening is going. They, I'm getting drunk tonight, damn it! And there's no stopping me. You know, it's time I've had a day. Yeah, drinking is just part of a lifestyle for me. I am an alcoholic. I I don't deny it. It's it's not destroying my life. It certainly isn't helping my life. But it's um it's 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 mostly under control. But I drink to just to loosen up because that's what I do every day in my life. It's when I get my most relaxed. It's often when I get my best thinking done after I'm, you know, winding it down and able to let things, let my tension, the tension of the day. Like when I get off work on a Friday, I'm in like almost the worst mood of the week. And you would think that it would be, dude, you're just off work on a Friday. You finally got these weekends off. You've been wanting so much. Why aren't you in a better mood? Because I got to release. I got to get this tension. I got to get it thinned out. I got to blend it out. And, you know, soaking it in some booze does that for me. And so I don't do that as a reactionary thing. I'm mad now. I'm going to get drunk and say, you know, that's not how I operate. And before I get to what happened, another thing that I've always uh, thought was strange growing up and mostly in more juvenile settings and uh, immature settings. But you'll hear somebody when they're arguing with somebody or uh, having just even if it's not an argument, just a whatever it might be interaction where it's like, but you make me feel so stupid. Why, why do you got to go make me feel dumb all the time? And I've, I've never understood that remark. You make me feel stupid. How, how, can, how does, do other people make other people feel stupid? I, I guess I could sit down and, and think about it and come up with my answer to my own question. But my point is, there's only one person in the world that can make me personally feel stupid. Now, you might come in with a bunch of knowledge I don't have. That's just good information or information I wasn't aware of before. Just because you're highly intelligent doesn't mean I now feel stupid. There's only one person that can make me feel dumb, and that's me. That's, that's the guy talking into this microphone right now on the Stone on Air podcast. I am the only person that can make me feel stupid. And when I do it, it is a doozy <laughs> a lot of the times. It's a doozy. So over the last uh, handful of days... I uh, I was drinking, and so I not only had a bad incidence with this once, I did it twice over the course of a couple of days with two different people. Now, the second one, not nearly as big a deal, and if that's all that happened, I wouldn't be talking about it right now. But the first one is just a random night, hanging out with a couple of friends, have a couple of drinks, take it to the house, pretty good mood overall, nothing emotional happening. And somehow, over the course of the next several hours, I go on a binge and just guzzling gin and tonic. I don't know why. I don't know what what fueled it and what made me do that because that's out of character. Just getting sloshed out of nowhere for no particular reason uh, doesn't happen all that often. It happens plenty, but not not very regularly. 
And I've talked about her before, never named her, the friend that's a girl who's not a friend that's a girl anymore. She's still a girl. She was still a friend. It's not likely she's still a friend anymore because I decided to, I don't know why, text message her in the middle of the damn night and really just basically be a total douchebag for the course of the next however long it took. I don't remember it. I was completely blacked out. I saw by the by the morning. I looked at it the next day and was horrified with myself. Now I don't cuss at people. I don't call people names. I'm not juvenile, but I, I you can still hurt somebody's feelings pretty bad or say some really really stupid things uh, without being juvenile and 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 using pro, uh, you know profanity. This was completely unprovoked. There have been times where somebody did something dumb and I responded poorly, but that was in response. That was in reaction. Completely unprovoked. Me just going off the deep end, a drunk mess in the middle of the night, and uh, that's pretty much it. <laughs> you know, Whatever that was, which it wasn't much, is pretty much it. And uh, I feel more than anything because it wasn't much of a thing other than just occasionally. I, uh, I just feel so bad. Like I, f- I feel awful for being such a just dickhead for no reason and i don't know why i did it and i don't feel good about it and you know when you you wake up after you've done something for me it generally means drinking too much but it doesn't have to be that whatever it is that you did something shameful and then you have that that feeling that you remember from a child like oh my god i'm in trouble oh no oh my god how have i done this why have i done this what am i gonna do i'm in so much trouble like you're waiting on your parents to find out right you know that feeling i think we all have that similar feeling of oh my god as soon as mom finds out about this i am screwed i've had that feeling in my gut for like three or four days for no particular reason other than i just realized how stupid uh, i was so then i kind of spent the next day and a half trying to keep it low-key and which i did and then but not any more than or less than a day and a half later I drank again, and I'm sitting around during that day, earlier portion, talking with some friends of mine, people you know from people I've talked about on this show. We've kind of got this little loose business idea we've been kicking around with each other, and we sat around, we had a brunch, and we sat around and talked about it for about an hour. And it wasn't heated by any means, but there were a lot of real hard questions asked because we were talking about real, you know, a real situation here that could potentially uh, be expensive. So it was it was like, oh, hold on, no, back up. Don't understand. You know, it was one of those. It was a real back and forth that uh, that was a good conversation in the end. And later on, I'm sitting at the house and I'm crunching numbers and I'm, I'm thinking about things and I'm getting drunker and I'm thinking, I don't like I don't like this. I don't like this idea. I don't get this. Why? Why does anybody want to hear my, my ideas are better than this? This is stupid. I don't like this. And so rather than send something that says, hey, man, I got some I got some second thoughts and some things. Let's. Um, Let's reconvene in the next couple days and go over a few things. I'm going to make some bullet points. Right? That's like the perfect response. Everything I just said, I just made it up right there. Instead, I send a text that says something along the lines of, hey, this idea we were kicking around earlier, yeah, it's dumb. I don't like it, and we don't need to do that. I got some better ideas. What about this? But not even being that specific, being a little bit more cryptic and a touch passive aggressive. So I get a response back. Well, fine, dude. Don't get involved. Do your own thing. Bye. Like, no, no, no. Hold on. You know, don't be, don't, don't, don't be like that with me. And then it went back and forth. Then I was like, hey, you know what? We'll pick this up at another time. <laughs> My apologies for bringing this up late at night. So if that was the only one, then that this conversation would be over. 
but over the course of a couple of days, I did it twice. So not only did I do it once and really upset myself and upset another person, the friend that's a girl, who's still a girl, and maybe my friend still, I hope, that not only did that happen, I didn't learn my lesson enough to where I still almost did it again a day and a half later. And this coming from the guy that started the segment by priding myself saying, I don't normally do this kind of stuff. So I'll put the wraps on that overall deal right now because that's all I have to say about that as we head out with Toto's version of Africa. Coming up next, first of all, if you're enjoying me talking about how ashamed I am of some things, I have something else I'm going to talk to you about from high school that I'm ashamed of. Mixed in with this conversation of this pitcher from the Milwaukee Brewers who had these uh, terrible tweets from seven years ago when he was in high school and the response by people in Milwaukee and what it all means, if anything, coming up next on the Stone On Air Podcast. after tearfully facing teammates and others to apologize over seriously offensive tweets as a 17-year-old, thousands of Milwaukee Brewers fans gave Hater what used to be considered supreme validation, a standing ovation. Some sat and did nothing. Others applauded politely when his name was announced. Tony, old guys like us remember when standing ovations were saved for extraordinary accomplishments. So what do you think of this Apologies all the way around. Welcome back to the show. Guy's name is Josh Hader. His Twitter handle is at jhader17. Profile named Josh Haterade. Pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. I'm gonna read some of these tweets and then play some audio from people around the country. And then tell you why I kind of feel bad for the guy. And at first I didn't. And I'll explain why here shortly. So most of these tweets came from... This one's 2012. Let's take a look here. 2012, 12, 12. Yeah, it looks like they're pretty much all from 2012, which makes them six months, six years old, I should say, I guess. So I'm not going to throw all the cuss words on all these just because I just don't like gratuitous uh, profanity. But so here we are. Face down, ass up. That's the way we like to F. There's some hoes in this house I'm trying to F. That is, if nothing else, just vulgar. Josh Haterade. Gay people freak me out. This dude comes in with pony shirts and a pony mail bag. Hashtag the fuck. Um, Again, these came out after the All-Star game, which he pitched in the Tuesday, the second Tuesday of July. And by that night, and by the time the game was over and into the morning, somebody had found these, posted them all, and it turned into a you-know-what storm online. Uh, This one just says, I'm gay AF. This one says, hashtag whoever I marry better be ready for my big dick. This one says, 
Wow, ha, 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 in response to somebody. Who am I getting? I was a little inward, inward. So now we're getting into pretty offensive. At first, it was just kind of vulgar and juvenile and stupid. And it goes back and forth on some of those. When I F, she let her pussy soak. What the hell that means? Sniffing coke lines off my dick. She riding on that train. She crushing down that powder. I'm puffing on this sour. I assume that is a uh, song lyric. This just simply put says KKK. That's, that's all this tweet says. Now, I guess there's some context that might be uh, missing here or certainly missing here. I guess the question could have been what or the tweet question could have been. What's the worst organization ever? And he puts KKK. Something tells me that's not the case there. This one says need a bitch that can fuck, cook, clean, right. Um, this one simply put the last one I got. And there's really no way around this. No context is going to change these words. I hate gay people. (laughs) Okay. So dude, 17 years old, when he puts this stuff out there, how somebody at some point as he was ascending through the ranks of becoming a potential professional uh, sports, you know, baseball player, somebody didn't see these and say, dude, do something about that. I'll never completely understand. So, So some audio from around the country and different people and what they think and what provoked this, uh, these conversations was his first game back after the all-star break in Milwaukee, he pitches, strikes out the side, which, you know, winning is always cures everything when it comes to a fan base. And he gets a standing ovation as he walks off the field. And at first, after knowing all those tweets and then seeing that, I really kind of thought, you know, I don't know about this. This is an odd. So it's two different things. What do you do? How do you respond to somebody who at some point in their life, even though it was some time back and age is is valid to the conversation and the debate, when do, where do their words not matter anymore? In this day and age of going back and accusing people of sexual assault from 10 years ago or things that people said from 20 years ago, when does it not matter? We're on that line. When does it, when does it, is it, well, he's just a kid or you see where my question is, where I'm just kind of making this question up out of, you know, rhetorical, if nothing else. I'm not sure. This is Josh Hader that uh, I think it was the night of the All-Star game. Uh, you know, it was something that happened, uh, you know, when I was 17 years old. And, you know, as a, as a child, I was, was immature. And, I, you know, obviously said some of the things that were inexcusable. Um, you know, that doesn't reflect on who I am as a person today. And, um, you know, that's just what it is i mean no deletes you know um obviously when you're a kid you just tweet what's on your mind and you know, i just live up to you know what happened and uh and you just move on from it um you know he is still a kid in my mind he's 24 years old that I, there was more to that it was a long conversation but he 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 didn't do himself any favors in that post-game interview now he was probably pretty rattled and again he is a kid but he said some stuff that was pretty stupid. It wasn't harmful any more than he'd already harmed himself. But so that's what I left that as. This is Lorenzo Cain, a great ball player that was on the world champion Royals a couple of years ago. The Brewers picked him up in the offseason, and he's an African-American. This is his interview shortly after that. Um, uh, we just talked a little bit. I just was trying to understand the situation. Um, so he was young. You know, we all say some crazy stuff when we're young. Um, you know, um, that's one reason why I don't have social media because, you know, for things like this, you know, you always get in trouble for, you know, things you said when you're younger. So, um, like I said, we'll move on from it. You know, situation is what it is. I know Hater. You know, he's a great guy. And um, like I, said, I know he's a great teammate. So, um, 
Like I said, I'm, I'm fine. You know, everybody will be okay. We'll move on from this for sure. So I this that was before he came back to play in the regular season at the end of last week, and there was a standing ovation for um, for him coming off the field, which I'm going to let Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon, I'm going to play a portion of their television show here at the tail end of this to kind of hash out where they think that's coming from because they're two of my favorites. I do like a lot of the talking head shows where people talk, you know, the, the, the news writers, sports writers from around the country. I've got four here real quick. This is Tim Kalashaw from De- uh, Dallas, from the Dallas newspaper on Around the Horn on ESPN. I do understand it happening, and I don't know if I hope this so much or if I think this is true, but here's what I think I think is that they're, 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 they're applause for him. They're, they're, they're not applauding the things he tweeted about when he was 17. It's more their disdain for the media and for the gotcha journalism type things that they see uh, that we treat everybody with. Uh, oh, you're a big star, you're an all-star now? Well, let's see what you tweeted seven years ago in high school. Oh, here it is. Let's put this out there. And on top of that, you saw that photo, that, that video. He's got his African-American teammates standing in support of him. That, tells, that makes it a lot easier for fans to say those tweets weren't a big deal. I, I'm glad he's back. I'm going to cheer for him. Doesn't mean it's right. I mean, I guess that is a good point from Kalashaw. If the African-American teammates have his back, uh, then maybe the rest of us should. But that's, here's the problem. He didn't just offend African-Americans. He offended women and homosexuals as well. This is Kevin Blackstone from Washington, D.C. Sports Media. Well, what they said to me was that it's actually worse what they were doing than what Hayter actually did uh, as a 17-year-old. That was a one-time event for that individual, and they seemed to be endorsing uh, that behavior and uh, attacking those who would expose it and expect some sort of uh, uh, punishment for, for Hayter. Um, it also underscored for me what a lot of people have felt about uh, Milwaukee in terms of how they feel about people of color. Uh, that, that city has one of the worst records in this country uh, when it comes to education, when it comes to incarceration, when it comes to housing, uh, when it comes to the division of people of any city in this country. And I think they just put it on really poor display uh, the other night. I'm not sure that I agree with that at all. I know a little bit about Milwaukee. I'd have to pull the numbers. You can make any numbers work in the favor of your argument that you would like here in a minute. Uh, that way, Kevin Blackstone is a is a black man, and here in a few minutes, uh, Mike Wilbon, a black man, uh, applauds the tolerance of the city of Milwaukee. The little experience I have with the city, I absolutely love. From New York Sports Media, this is Frank Iasola. When you see his teammates standing back there, I think there is a sense among the fans. Okay. The players are okay with it. So are his African-American teammates. They're willing to show forgiveness. We're going to do that. I definitely think that's part of it. And I also believe it's one of these things where it kind of turns into it's the media versus the player. And we're going to respond. We're supporting the player, not the media, for trying to go after some kid looking for tweets from years ago. I think that certainly plays into it. But I think we're a society where when you see the players, his teammates standing there, it's like, hey, wait a second. That's our guy. So we're going to support him because everyone's attacking. Him. I think that's what a majority of the people were thinking when they stand up and cheer. Again, he offended women and homosexuals as well, not just African-Americans. The final one here on this panel 
from this show around the horn is Bill Plasky, who is a super liberal who is on the Los Angeles Lakers beat. Frank, it's one thing to support to say you're forgiving him. It's another thing to enable him and endorse him the way they did. Shame on you, Milwaukee. Seriously, shame on you. And Frank, yes, they saw his teammates were standing behind him. His teammates weren't cheering. They weren't applauding. They were just standing behind him. And if you want, if you don't want to boo him, fine. But to give a standing ovation to that sort of behavior is to endorse, again, that sort of behavior. And I can't imagine how his African-American teammates felt listening to that. I can't imagine how anybody in the stands of color or a gay person in the stands felt listening to them giving a standing ovation to someone who, as a 17-year-old, basically an adult, tweeted out those thoughts. It was, again, Milwaukee, was, I think they were sending a different kind of message here. And the message that I got, and I know a lot of the country against God, is that, you know what, this is not all bad. It was, um, th- those are the words of an old, aging, liberal white guy. Um, I don't disagree with every single word he just said, but basically an adult, bro, there ain't nothing adult about a 17, 18, or 19-year-old kid. I'll go as far to say 20, 21, 22. Our culture, our society, the norms that we've we've set over the last couple of generations and the way we dumb down everything we do in life has created an environment where 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20-year-olds are separated by very, very little brain function. They are all virtually the same. They just have different laws that matter to them in different ways. This is Tony Kornheiser and Mike Wilbon for about two minutes, their segment on Pardon the Interruption just yesterday on uh, whatever the hell day it was, Tuesday. And on the other side of that, I'll tell you about my shameful thing from high school that makes me want to forgive Josh Hader. Okay, so this is a racially charged question, so let's wade into that and let's look at what this is. From the clips that, that they show, almost everybody standing up is white. Okay, and you have to say that almost everybody's white. So you have to ask yourself, it's one of two things considered possible to me. One is that these people on the bad end of the scale, relate to what he said, feel disenfranchised, share these same feelings. On the other end of the scale is this. They believe his apology was sincere. They note with a certain amount of comfort that all of his teammates, including his black and Latin teammates, supported him completely. And they feel that is worthy of an ovation. I'm going to take the high road and I'm going to say that I hope that is what this is about. Well, it's about all of it. And I'm not taking such a high road. Um, if I'm going to list the tolerant communities I hate, that I consider that I've been to, and I've been to all of them in America, everywhere. Milwaukee's high on the list it, of tolerance. Up there with the Twin Cities, the Pacific Northwest, certain okay, places good. where I don't presume bad behavior. But of some of those people, Tony, I consider this the trumping of America, a continuation of that. When it is okay, can you look no into shame, their hearts? Because I can't. Look some into of their them, I, yeah, I can look into their hearts. So I can look at the poll numbers. I can look at their leader. I can look at his base. And so you would say that everywhere, about 30%. And I would say some percentage of those people mm-hmm. think, yeah, I'm yeah. with that. But again, I'm giving most people in Milwaukee, That's most cheeseheads, yeah. Wisconsin. I, I, I'm a neighbor of that state. I know something about it. I feel there's a lot of tolerance, but not exclusively so. I don't know Hater. I don't know what's in his heart. I have prejudices and the mark of our character is to what extent we can fully overcome those Tony, prejudices. You know what? I'm way so, over him. Yeah. His reaction, his reaction to me and the contrition for which he is almost begged. I'm fine I'm good with, with that. him. I'm good with that. I do look at people now with a certain skepticism. We're almost a year out from Charlottesville. Yeah. I am not going to take a real high road because others aren't on it. It's that, virtually empty. I took that as a note that I hope that these people are not the people who would support the alt-right neo-Nazi marching in Charlottesville. You know, some, that, that they would support the contrition and I the hope, growth. I hope you're right. 
I uh, hope he's right, too. And so, uh, whatever. We can argue left and right, up and down, up in circles and all around. All we want about how you respond to things, how you deal with things when you're a kid to an adult, uh, how you respond afterwards, blah, 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 blah. But I don't want to run too late on this show, so I'm going to get right to it and get to the point that made me want to do this segment. My 20-year class reunion is on September 8th at the Waterhouse Pavilion at Miller Park, and I can't wait. And I'm one of the, uh, I'm one, I'm one of the committee organizers. And so I'm hoping, for a, I'm hoping for a successful event. I'd hope for a successful event if I wasn't one of the organizers. But so I'm going through stuff, and I'm working on that in my spare time, trying to find pictures. We're trying to market the, uh, the Facebook page and put, put out old stuff and garner interest. And I have this notepad from high school that I knew I had. I've seen it in the last five, six years, but I hadn't gone through all of it. And I knew I had this box that had a lot of old stuff in it. So over the weekend, I started digging through this. And I start going through it. And I used to, I just, I used, I still do occasionally, but it, way more when I was a kid, I doodled. Just doodled all over paper. I wasn't an artist, like, you know, a freehand drawing artist. But I, you know, I could, I could put together something that was kind of interesting, worth looking at more than just scribbling on a piece of paper. And I would do little mini comic strips. Not like funny, trying to be funny comic strips. Just like little... I guess in the end, they're almost like a graphic novel occasionally. And it would be me and my friends in settings, and it would be from one scene to the next. And I've seen some of those over the years. And there's this one that I ran into. And I my stomach dropped, like, you know, the heart into your, to your gut kind of thing. Like, how could I have done this? And I'm not going to, or thought this up, or dreamt this, or whatever. And I'm not going to get into graphic detail of what it was because I was so ashamed. I thought about immediately destroying it, but I don't like destroying history just because you don't like it. Right. That's kind of the whole, you know, Confederate bust kind of argument of you don't remove things. You don't destroy historical fact just because you don't like it. And whether something's important or not to even have that conversation is also valid to that conversation. So from the historical matter of my life, just because I didn't like what I saw, I didn't feel like it was necessary to get rid of. But just to kind of give you an idea what it was, it was two or three people that I still know to this day that I put in. It had nothing to do with them. It's just who I was hanging out with at the time. And I do it like regular job. They're just little stick man uh, comic strips. And this one involved killing the teacher now i didn't even recognize the teacher in this little strip drawing i did i don't even remember who it was which i'm glad because i had a lot of teachers i in the end realized i loved and it would feel even worse if it was somebody i remembered not that that makes it any better or worse and in this little strip it involves disgustingly vulgar vulgar language which i'm if that was it i wouldn't be talking to you right now Terrible hate speech, not from a not from race or sexist or anything like that, like we know now, but it was just disgusting hate and guns, several guns. And I don't remember what I thought about guns in high school, but I sure as shit hate them now and I'm terrified of them and would do anything it takes to restrict them if given the opportunity. 
I'm 38 years old. This pitcher who is, you know, in this this story, the catalyst for this whole almost 20 minute segment, is 24 years old and was 17 when he did what he did. Because he's hating on gays people and hating on blacks and hating on women, or at least de- demeaning and degrading women. Does that mean into his early to mid 20s he it's what he truly believes? In my early to mid 20s, I'd have never, never been okay with that that I drew in some high school class in my little doodle book, in my little notepad. I'd have never been okay with that in my mid-20s and would feel awful if I wasn't given an opportunity to at least explain somehow, some way, what I was doing. So I am as ashamed as I could be about what I saw in that. And uh, I would be horrified for anybody to see it. And it would make me look like a major, major hypocrite. But, I mean, it... I got to thinking about it. What I drew, what I wrote down, what I doodled, what I screwed around with in high school doesn't mean anything to the way I feel and what I and what it means deeply to me right now. And it shouldn't to anybody else either. That was a lifetime ago. I'm disgusted that I, for even a minute I would have drawn out this kind of violence and hate. But at the time, it was just in jest more than anything. I was just trying to get some laughs from somebody probably. But if an adult figure or somebody who knew anything about anything saw that in the in the climate that we live in now, politically and realistically, I'd, I'd have to be pulled aside and said, son, what the hell's the matter with you? You need to be evaluated for a psych exam. Something is wrong with you. And maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. I don't know. I don't remember. I have no recollection of that. But there is no doubt that that's what I did. And so it got me thinking that, yeah, you can be an absolute asshat in high school and 10, 7, 12, 20 years later can be a completely 100% different person with different ideological thoughts, standards, morals, ethics, and behaviors. And so I say to Bill Hader, Kick some ass from Milwaukee, and I hate the Cubs, and I hope the Brewers win the National League Central. Small talk and being rude. It's all annoying on some level, but maybe small talk's not actually all that bad of a thing, or maybe not even all that small. What does that mean? I'll tell you coming up next. back to more don't on air that's exactly what i wanted to hear don't on air.com very 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 rude indeed that's rude how rude how rude how rude how rude how very rude this is brand new music from a local band called kerchief and i love it it's called erase me and video was released on the 20th of July so as of 
quote unquote press time. That was four days ago. Band uh, primarily out of Cleveland, Tennessee, played Chattanooga gigs and tour around the Southeast as as a supporting act for many mid-level to lower level southeastern acts and um i love it i love it and i first saw these guys and gal at uh the road to nightfall when i did all those interviews for a week the 2017 road to nightfall and i went up to i I can't remember i no, i had not interviewed them yet and i went to the stage because the singer is a female so of course you know pardon my whatever you want to call it it grabbed my attention. So I'm like, I'll go check this out and see what it sounds like. And immediately, I mean, like, snap of the fingers immediately, was enthralled with it. I thought, this rocks. I love this. And it was just a three-song set. And then when I talked to them later on, I said, pardon me, but I have to gush over how much I loved your show. And... I just don't say those kinds of things to people unless it is absolutely authentic. And then I ran into them uh, as when I was emceeing for the St. Patrick's Day a party over the party in the Parkway, and just kind of court them, just fanboying it up. I mean, just totally fanboying and saying, "Hey, just basically, don't forget me. I love you. <laughs> You're great." I mean, it's just stripped down hard rock and roll. I mean, it's all that it is. If it's your thing, it's your thing. If it's not, it's not. But they're going to be playing at JJ's August. That's the 11th. August the 11th on a Saturday with Taco Mouth. Now, what makes this a little bit more interesting than just throwing out some other band they're playing with? Well, the rhythm section for Taco Mouth is the former rhythm section for the Dead Deads. Erica and Angie. Betty and what was Angie's name. Shit, I can't even remember. Anyway, Angie and Erica from formerly of the Dead Deads, they're one of their bands anyway, is Taco Mouth. Kerchief, Taco Mouth, JJ's, a Saturday, August 11th. I'm even considering a tour stop. I haven't made up my mind on that one just yet. All right, so let's get through this here real quick and wrap up uh, this week's show. And I just, I don't know why this came to me. It's because it's always something that irritates me to, to death is... What is and isn't rude? Why are we so uh, misunderstanding of what is and isn't rude? Uh, people tend to think that small talk is 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 not being rude. Like if you if if you're engaging in small talk, then you're being polite and you're being the one who is uh, who's doing the right thing. And in some settings, based on some of the reading I've done from several different sources, maybe that's true. But there's a lot of other things that don't fall into that, which I'll touch on here real quick. Now, so if you're going to be in a situation like a reunion, I'm just talking about my high school reunion coming up. Well, that's going to be nothing but small talk. So in that setting, small talk works. You need it. You have to have it or the whole purpose of what you're doing doesn't make any sense. Random parties, especially in the adult world, any world of ages, but certainly in the adult world of parties, whether it be a Super Bowl party or a birthday, well, I probably don't do birthday parties for adults, but whatever the case might be, cocktail party, small talk is required. If you don't want to do those, you just don't go. It's that simple. But small talk amongst the workplace, small talk amongst places of business, in waiting rooms, things of this nature is not necessary. And if you are the one who's who's initiating the small talk, my thoughts, my thinking on this is, You are the one being rude. 
Not me. Not the one that has no interest in this small talk. I'm the one who's being perfectly polite and keeping to myself. You're the one who's coming in here and being rude. Now, the variables to that will change depending on what your situation is, which I'll get in more to with this Vox article here coming up in just a minute. But certain things that I just cannot stand drive me personally nuts. Commenting on food and drink. We just cannot wait as a society to comment on what people are eating and drinking. Just cannot wait. All of our lives are busy. All of our lives are filled with annoyances. And most of us, if you get right down to it, have a difficult time having a quality meal at any given time. And I would say for most of us, lunch is the most difficult meal of the day to make a satisfactory choice and option. For me, being hungry in the middle of the day is one of the biggest annoyances I have. And I get people are excited by chemically produced food that creates, that's loaded with sugar and sodium that's designed to make you happy until you get done with it. And then it, and then it makes you sick. But the, the excitement of being happy over this chemically produced, disgusting fast food is far stronger than the effect, which is generally sickness on the other end. And so some people just don't dissect it like that. I do. I don't eat a lot of fast food. Every now and again, I have to, but I sure as hell don't do it when anybody can see me. But so this comment, hey, what you eating on over there? Something that sucks. Leave me alone. Every day I have to deal with this. I actually plan my meals, my, my lunches as much as possible about food that's hidden, that you can't see, that you can't smell, that you can't comment on. I'm having something. The middle of my day is some of the worst portion of my day. Noon, one, two, three, four. I'm busy. I'm tired. I'm exhausted, as a matter of fact, and I'm starving. And if I'm eating something, the chances are, the chances are, not every day because sometimes I do it well, but it's difficult to do it well all the time. The chances are I'm irritated AF with what I'm having to eat for lunch and you walking in the building, in the room, and saying, hey, why what you eating on over there? Shut up! That's where I'll use this. Hey, turn up the volume. God damn it, I'm pissed off! <laughs> Don't ask me what I'm eating. Leave me alone, you rude SOB. It's a variation of small talk. You don't really care what it is I'm eating. You're making small talk. Elevator speech, I've talked about it. It's ridiculous. I know we use it as, as, a, as a way to uh, distinguish something that happens quickly, right? But no, I'm on an elevator. There's no reason why you need to be talking to me. Shut up. When, we go, when, you, when you're driving around town in this insanely ridiculous traffic system that America employs all across the country, but certainly here in the southeast, there's the idiocy that is the way that, we, that we've, we have turned the roadways into capitalistic ideas of ways of making money. Not, not to have efficient travel and the, uh, the movement of vehicles throughout the city. We figured out a way to make it to the transportation into a major money-making organization, whatever, Talks for another day. Pull up to a four-way stop. One of the most needless concepts in all of traffic uh, uh, planning, in city planning. A four-way stop. Uh, Whoever gets there first goes next. Somebody gets there first. Oh, I'll be nice. I'll let you go. You're not being nice, asshole. You got there first. This is how this works. You go. You letting me go isn't being polite. Same deal you get at registers. Oh, hey, yeah, just, hey, do you have a, you find everything you needed? That's one thing. 
commenting on what I'm buying is not being polite. It's rude. Sit around having a conversation with somebody as they're checking out and then they're done and you keep that conversation flowing. Ain't being a damn polite, cool, nice, neat, fun person. You're being a rude asshole. And you see this everywhere we go every single day. And these these people think that they're being polite. Oh, I'm just so nice. I'm a nice person. I'm nice. I ask people how they're doing. I ask people how the weather is today. I am being polite. Nope, you're being rude as hell. But maybe I am wrong because the science of small talk shows that maybe it is important and maybe shows that it is anything other than small. This is from a piece from Vox.com. David Roberts wrote it. Very, very long. Had some very good points. And I'm just going to cherry pick a little bit of it and then wrap up the show. Researchers realize that small talk is no small thing. Small talk hasn't come in for a ton of academic study. The first theoretical account is generally traced to anthropologist Bronstall Malawinski in his 1923 essay, The Problem of Meaning in Primitive Languages. He noted that a great deal of talk does not serve any purpose of communicating ideas, but instead serves to establish bonds of personal union. Malawinski termed the exchange of such talk phatic communion. It's a speech as social bonding rather than communication. Malawinski obviously thought of this as a lesser form of speech, describing it as purposeless expressions of preference or aversions, accounts of irrelevant happenings, and comments on what is perfectly obvious. And then it goes on and on and on. For decades thereafter, small talk retained its reputation as one of the lowest forms of speech. Mere space filler to ward off silence. Little worthy of respect or serious study. So, so far, my thoughts are what this researcher found. Well, fast forward into modern times and researchers beginning in the, uh, or at least picking up in the 1970s, started to come up with other findings. Continue on further down into this Vox piece by David Roberts. Speech says things, but it also does things. We need not get too far into the weeds. At a general level, it's simply important to remember that speech act operates on two levels. On one level, it communicates information or ideas. This is semantic content of the speech, i.e. what the words mean. On another level, talking is a social behavior. Every speech act is an act meant not only to communicate something, but to do something, reassure, acknowledge, nurture, enjoin, reject, dominate, encourage, or just fill awkward silence. We can think of this as the social function of a speech act. Unlike semantic content, social function cannot be understood in isolation, just by examining the words. Social function depends entirely on context, on tone, and body language, on the interper- interpersonal roles being played, on historical and environmental cues. It only makes sense relative to context. See, I like that. Semantic content. That's what I'm looking for. As I continue on here with just a couple more paragraphs, and I'll put the wraps on the show. But cases of purely communicative speech are more the exception than the rule. Found in specialized professional and academic settings. As social linguistics have come to appreciate in day-to-day human interaction, Interaction, excuse me, speech is a social, relational behavior. That's why everyday patterns and rituals of speech are worthy of study. 
they reveal the social fabric. Two paragraphs left. Small talk falls on the other end of the continuum. It's a speech that prioritizes social function. Think of this exchange. Quote, how's it going? Quote, oh, pretty good. There's not zero semantic context in there. Presumably, quote, pretty good excludes, quote, dying at this exact moment. So that's some information. But the primary function of those speech acts is social. Not to say something, but to do something, i.e. make contact, reaffirm shared membership in a common tribe, express positive feelings and thus the lack of threat, show concern and so forth. These are not unimportant things and they're not small at all, really, but they are different from communicating semantic content. Small talk, particularly in its purest form, fatic communion, is a context in which language has an almost ritualistic quality. The communication of ideas or information is secondary, almost incidental. The speech is mainly meant to serve the purpose of social bonding. It asks and answers familiar questions, dwells on topics of reliable comedy, not comedy, com-itty, and stresses fellow feeling rather than sources of disagreement. So the first half of all that says I'm right, and the second half of all that says that I'm wrong. In the end... I don't like small talk. And there was another one here. Modern etiquette. I hate small talk. At what point can I just be rude and say nothing? Eh, I don't have time for that. You're not being rude if you don't want to engage in small talk. You're just not. You're not being rude. Is it awkward? Yeah, well, so is the small talk often. Small talk with a dullard is very awkward. So I guess just beware of where you do and don't put your uh, yourself in positions to get into that small talk. And if you're like what I'm reading from that, like me, the semantic content of speech is what we're looking for, i.e. conversation that matters. I got to fly. I appreciate you guys finding the show every week, downloadable every Wednesday, your midweek download destination. And we'll do it again on, let's see, do we have another July Wednesday? I don't think we do. Let me take a look at this. Nope, next time I talk to you will be on the first of the month, August 1st, and hopefully have some um, more details on the Rail and Hops uh, Brewers Festival going on at the Choo Choo, which is going to definitely happen. I'm hopefully going to have a booth and uh, and recording a show down there. I'll know more about that, hopefully, by the next show, which will be August 1st. Y'all take care. Appreciate you so much, and enjoy your week. Bye.